How you doing? Yeah. It's great to see you. I am very excited about a brand new series that we're doing. Are you excited about a brand new series that we're doing? We were in a series for a long time, and now we're going to talk about Christmas. We are, by the way, didn't these guys do just an absolutely awesome job? We are an incredibly blessed people. Incredibly blessed. I guess I should put this thing on. Um, Okay. Uh, From the day, I have three kids, most of you know that, from the day that my son, who's our middle child, uh, was born, my son's three and a half, uh, this kid has had a song that he sings. And and I know even before he could talk, he used to hum the song. And so you can imagine a kid that's like two years old, doesn't really talk yet, and he'd just go, all the time. And then he would start to talk. Uh, when he started talking, he started adding words to that little melody based on whatever was happening that day. So if he woke up and the sun was out, it's a sunny day, sunny day. If it was outside, he would say, Bobby, it's a rainy day. Yeah, it is. Sandra, it is a rainy day. It's a rainy day. It's a rainy day. And then um, that he also, uh, he just, he tries to send me subliminal messages through the song. Um, like he tries to be real slick. Um, like, so we'll get up. It'll be like a, a, a Friday morning or Saturday or Saturday morning. Usually cause they don't, kids don't have school, but he'd be like, uh, Oh, it's morning time. Yes, it is. Then. Okay, great. It's breakfast at Starbucks day. Breakfast at Starbucks day. He'll do that. Or he'll, um, you know, we'll pick him up from school. I usually pick him up from school on Fridays and, uh, and he'll say, uh, how you doing Xander? Oh, good. It's buy me a toy at Target day. Toy at Target day. So he, he does that. Um, his older sister, Mia, loves songs. She prefers songs that are about her. Um, so all, most of her songs are songs that are about her and her, you know, intrigue. Um, but so, uh, you know, she'll say, Papi, sing. Because, you know, we do these concerts and I'm usually playing guitar all the time at the house. So I have my acoustic guitar. And, uh, and she'll say, Papi, sing a song about me. And I'll say, all right. You know, Mia is a beautiful girl. No, 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 no. I want you to do a song where I'm a princess. Okay. Mia is a princess. No, 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 no. Don't just do a song about me that I'm a princess. Do a song that, I, that I'm a princess and um, I have friends that are ninjas. Mia's a princess. She's made friends with ninjas. Wait, 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 wait. Don't just do a song. Do a song that I'm a princess and then I have friends that are ninjas and then someone comes to try to take away my kingdom and then the ninjas come and we fight together and then I have a rainbow lightsaber and then we fight back the evil guys and then we win. And I'm like, Mia, shouldn't we just write a screenplay? I think it would be easier than... Um, than, than this song, but you know, my kids love, they love singing. Uh, and like I said, we do these concerts at the house, you know, a couple times a week. Um, and w- what they've wanted to do now, normally we're playing like theme songs to the shows that they like. And, uh, you know, like they think it's hilarious. Like, they'll just pick a song. So they'll be like, we like this song. Poppy, play that song. Like, all right, I have to learn it. No, no, no. Just, just play it. This is how it goes. I'm like, okay, I have to like learn the chords. So give me five minutes. And then I come back five minutes. I've learned the song. But man, they, uh, it's, it's gotten tough, you know, because the songs are getting harder. You know, it's like, you know, uh, can you play symphony in D major? It's like, all right, I'm going to need a little time. Uh, and uh, so, but we've been practicing the Christmas song. I, my, my kids, some of your kids will be up here on Christmas Eve singing, uh, you know, the song, uh, the, was it Born as the King? Uh, on, on Christmas. So we've been playing that at the house a lot. And, um, or the, as they refer to it, the do, 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 do song. 
play the doot doot song. And uh, but uh, I'm. Uh, do you like anybody here? Like you like Christmas music? Can I ask that? I'm a big fan of Christmas. Good. Now, most of you. It just shows that you know. <laughs> what else are you going to say? Uh, but. <laughs> No, I like listening to Slayer at Christmas. Um, you know, it's not really, it's not a good mix. Uh, so, but I'm a big, I'm actually a big fan of Christmas songs. Um, I think it's the coolest thing to go to the mall, hear people that don't know God, like singing the gospel, you know, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, mercy's mild, God and sinners reconciled. They have no idea what they're singing, but it's awesome that they're singing the gospel. Um, now what I want to do over the next three weeks, or really the next four messages, um, is take you through what I believe to be the original Christmas song. It's a song that's called the Magnificat. And um, now, can we all say that together? Magnificat. Now, we have now entered, uh, you know, high culture. But just by doing that, that is a Latin term. Uh, like the, this song that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 1, it's called the Magnificat because that's the first word that Mary says, is uh, mag- my soul magnifies the Lord. And um, so some people, like a couple people on my staff are like, we're like that new series you're doing, Magnificent. And I'm like, it's not Magnificent, it's Magnificat. And he says, no, you just spelled Magnificent wrong. And I'm like, no, I didn't spell Magnificent wrong. And I'm like, I don't know who has a Southern accent on my staff, but whoever that is, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to help them. Jesus can heal that too. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, when I first moved to Florida, I had a Boston accent. I stand here a man who's healed. Uh, I can pronounce my R's and uh, all that. But here's the thing, is that um, what makes this song amazing, this Magnificat, this song about magnifying the Lord, is that every phrase of the song is either an allusion or a direct quotation from the Old Testament and the promises of God. And what I want you to see over the next four weeks is not just the song, but the heart behind the song. Because Mary, uh, the, the writer of the song, in many ways, I believe to be the very first Christian. Because she was the first person to hear the gospel as we know it. To hear the gospel that God would become human flesh. That God would become human flesh and save people. His name would be Jesus and that he would save people from their sins. And when she heard the Christmas message, when she heard the gospel, she was changed. Because that's what the gospel does. It changes us from the inside out. And so she opens her song saying that her soul magnifies the Lord. That it was her very center that was changed because of the message of the gospel that she has heard. I want you to notice that she doesn't say, hey, I've learned a new technique for overcoming, uh, you know, negativity. Oh, I've got five steps to getting my groove back. That's not what she's saying. Her, her message was, I've never been so filled with the Spirit of God as I am right now. And the question that we have to ask is, what gave her this overwhelming sense of joy, this overwhelming sense of being blessed? It was her understanding of the truths of God, coupled with her current circumstance, and as they met together, the, the collision of these two things was joy that was unspeakable, that that's what it created in her life. In fact, in the, the Bible says this in 1 Peter 1.8. It says, put it in your notes. It says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Now, why is this important to us? It's because this joy that we're talking about is available to you and me today. If you're here and you're going through a difficult time, can I just, listen, share with you that uh, this kind of joy, unspeakable joy is available 
If you're here and you're worried about the future, this kind of joy is available. If you're here and like many of us, you've got decisions to make and you have no idea what to do. And that indecision, listen, you're struggling with that indecision. Can I share this with you? That that kind of joy is available to you as well. And listen, maybe you're here and you've actually done all the right things. And things are still tough. Can I, can I tell you something? That that kind of joy is available to you. How do I know? Because the girl singing this song is 14 years old, single, pregnant, and still a virgin. And life is going to get really hard for her starting right now. You see, we've all heard the story so many times and we accept it as truth because, of course, it is true. But I think it would be an interesting thing for us to experience it today, right? Your 14-year-old daughter comes home and she tells you that she's pregnant. And then you start freaking out. She says, hey, mom, dad, don't freak out. It was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, thanks for clearing that up for us, honey. Uh, no, here's what you would say. Okay, uh, now why don't you introduce me to the boy who cl- goes by the name Holy Spirit because after we're done with him, he's going to be meeting the real Holy Spirit shortly. Okay? Um, but see, but we know that it's true. We know the Bible talked about this. There's a prophecy in Isaiah about a virgin being with child. That this is one of the things that we saw ha- that was going to happen at the coming of Messiah. But once again, I think every Jewish family, they, didn't, they expected kids to be born in the normal way that kids have always been born from all of creation. And so this girl comes to her parents and tells her what's happened. She's engaged to a guy named Joseph and they haven't consummated their marriage yet. And she says, hey, by the way, and it's going to make things very, very difficult. And see, the thing is, is that if this girl can be filled with unspeakable, uncontainable joy, in the face of an incredibly tough situation, you and I can be filled with that same kind of joy as well. If this girl can live a life that glorifies God in the face of an incredibly hard circumstance, you and I can live a life that glorifies God as well. And what I want to do is just show you um, in our time together just three characteristics of this young woman. Three characteristics of what a life that glorifies God looks like. Because this is what our lives need to look like as well. Look at, if we could, I'm going to read you the whole, we're going to look at just three verses today. And because this is just so, so full of, uh, uh, this stuff is just so full of meaning. We're going to look at three verses. I'm going to read you the whole thing and then we'll, we'll drill down one verse at a time. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. uh, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing I want to share with you about a life that glorifies God. And that is this, that a life that glorifies God, number one, magnifies God's word. Magnifies God's word. I don't know if you're aware of this, but every Jewish child in this culture, in this age, um, from the ages of six to 10, boy or girl, they went to uh, a school of learning that was called Beth Safer. Beth Safer uh, is a Hebrew term that means house of the book. And uh, they were, on the first day of school, these six-year-old kids, would, they'd ask to be put out their finger. They would put, they would put honey on their finger. They, the, the, the rabbis would instruct them to eat the honey. And the rabbis would tell these young kids, they would say, may the words of God be even sweeter to you than the honey you just ate. During Beth Safer is where they would memorize the Torah. 
I want you to think about that, memorizing the first five books of the Bible. And you think, man, that's impossible. Um, Do you have any idea how much stuff you have memorized that is completely useless? How much stuff I have memorized that is completely useless? Do you understand that I have the lyrics to the song Mickey memorized? Right? Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. Oh, Mickey, what a pity you don't understand. You take me by the heart when you take me by the hand. It's guys like you, Mickey. And you could, I could do this all day. And I'm telling you, like, I know this. I know all the words to the safety dance. What's up with that? I didn't even try to memorize the words to the safety dance. You can dance if you want, or you can leave your friends behind, right? But there's never been a moment that I've been struggling. Oh, God, I don't know what to do. I need a word from you. S, 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 A, 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 F. I've never had that. Safety, 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 safety. Right? I've never, I've never had that. There's all this stuff, right? I still remember. I still have my locker combination from high school memorized. And you're like, yeah, of course. You used that same locker combination for five years. I, I agree. That's true. But I still, like, right? Like, I, I, I wish that I, you know, you ever do this? You get like a program like Clean My Mac or something. You're like, I just want to erase a bunch of stuff. I wish I could do that and just fill it with much better things. Um, but instead, I've got Mickey, Safety Dance, Karma Chameleon. There's like a bunch of songs that I'd love to just get out, right? Because I'm pr- pretty sure you're not going to get to heaven. And, uh, you know, it's like, all right. And our next number, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. You know what I mean? It's not like, we're not going to be singing that in heaven. I'm, at least I'm, because, you know, who knows if they're even going to be there. Um, but, <laughs> okay. Wow. I really touched a nerve on that. Big, like, a lot of, a lot of Andrew Ridgely fans, George Michael. You know, those are the two guys. In, see, I, I named the other guy in Wham first, just because... I'm high culture like that. <laughs> so here's the thing, right? So after this, they'd memorize the Torah from ages 6 to 10. Then they would go from Beth Safer, house of, house of the book, to what's called Beth Talmud. Beth Talmud is a, is a term that means house of learning or house of study. And there they would memorize the rest of the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. Imagine that, having that or great portions of it committed to memory. You see, one of the things that we realize from just reading these, this, this, this song, this Magnificat, we learned that she is a student of the Bible. Mary is a student of the Bible. She, is a, um, she has much of the Bible memorized. Her response to this entire, to what's happening in her life, this song, is every phrase is a quotation from the Old Testament. And much more than that, it was in her heart. And see, there's something that happens, and you know what is in you by what happens when what you know and what you believe and real life collide. What happens in that moment is, is what you believe. But see, what poured out of her life is what she had hidden in her heart. She hid in her heart the scriptures. And what came out was praise and worship and a belief in what God could do. Here's a key point for us this morning, especially as Christians. If you're a Christian, the Bible is the primary source for how you view circumstances in the world around you. I'm going to say that again because some of you should write that down. If you're a Christian, the Bible is the primary source for how you view circumstances and the world around you. That means, as a Christian, if you're going through a tough season in your life, then there should be verses from God's Word that come to your mind and give your situation or circumstance context. So, let me give you one in particular. Here's one. It's in your notes in Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God 
to those who are the called according to his purpose, for those whom God knew, those he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, when you know that verse, or those two verses, you realize that as a Christian, nothing in your life is by accident. Everything that happens in your life is by design. And so now, because everything is by design to make you more like Jesus. It's to conform you into the image, to transform you into the image of Jesus. And that's the big things that happen in life, the, 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 you know, the, those defining moments of our lives. But even the small things, the things that we would consider to be insignificant, are, 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 can be monumental in transforming and shaping us and building character and characteristics into our lives. The last time I was at um, the post office near my house, the post office, the one I used to go to is this one that's right here on, on Miramar and 75 right there. I go to a different post office, but nobody goes there. That's why I can't tell you where it is. It's like me and like four people are the only people who know where it is. I stumbled upon it and I can't tell you because you would start telling people and then it would be as packed as the one that's there. So I'm sorry, but we can't talk about it. We can't talk about, I will tell you many other truths today. I will not reveal the location of this hidden post office. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Anyway, so I'm at the old, this is the last time I was at the old post office. This was the day I said, all right, I'm, I'm done. Um, and uh, I get there and there's one guy behind the counter. And there is a line, probably about more than 20 people deep, that goes from the counter all the way to the, to the double doors that, that, that open up. So I'm standing there. And then probably about 15 minutes later, the, the line is moving ever so slowly because the, guy, the one guy behind the counter that's working is kind of like making it his job. He's like purposely trying to go slow. At least that's what it seemed like. So I have my phone. So I'm responding to a bunch of emails that I have to respond to that I haven't gotten to yet. So I'm trying to fire some stuff off while I'm waiting. And this lady comes in. And so she comes in and she's now back by the door. And she starts going ballistic that there's like 20, 25 people in line. She's, she's, imagine, she's all the way on the other side of the post office. You know what like a typical post office looks like. And she's yelling at the guy behind the counter. Like, you know, you're going slow and you, know, you got to go faster and get somebody from the back to come up and, and work. And so, you know, she's using a lot of terms that I can't repeat in church. And um, now... I, it's about 40 minutes, I, and I was not, I, don't get me wrong, I wasn't like thrilled about what was going on, but I was busy doing some other things, and so I, the time kind of passed, because I was, you know, doing other things, and um, so I get to the, to the front of the line, and uh, <laughs> I get to the front of the line, and I, I have two packages to mail out, I mail out my two packages, oh, by the way, the lady, now this drives me crazy, but the lady, you know, people get to the counter, and they haven't filled out whatever, like the little paper you need to fill out, so she doesn't fill if, if somebody didn't do that, she was on them. Like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Did you go to high school? You know, I mean, she was going nuts. And um, anyway, so this lady, so I, I'm done. And, um, and then I'm turning to leave. And there's this police officer that walks in. Now he's at the back of the line and uh, right at the double doors. And, she, and the lady is probably like three or four people behind me. So she's still waiting. She's got three or four people ahead of her. And uh, I'm about to leave. And the guy behind the counter, it's a true story. Guy behind the counter says, officer, are you on duty? And he says, yes. And he says, then you come to the front of the line. You, I, seriously, you would have thought that that, that that guy said something about her mama because she went nuts. She went nuts. I mean, seriously, uh, she came unglued. You see, I have this theory, right? See, God wants to work patience in our lives. That's why lines exist. All right? That's why the DMV is in existence. All right? Because God wants to work patience in our lives. And so 
Um, how is God going to work patience in this woman's life? By making her wait. That's why I have a theory. If I'm patient in a line, God won't make me wait in them anymore. Um, that's why I found this new post office. That's so empty. And I was just like, every time I go, thank you, hallelujah. I've learned this lesson. But God, don't bring a lot of people here because I can't take it. And, um, but I, see that because I'm telling you, I have this theory that if I wait in the line, God will see that I've learned the lesson and then I will never have to wait in line anymore. It's like a spiritual fast pass that I get. Like, I don't know if any of this is in the Bible. This is just a working theory that I have about my own life. Um, and now here's, here's the point, right? The point is this. If you don't have the scriptures hidden in your heart, you will not be able to interpret life uh, in light of what the Bible has to say. Instead, you will look at a line, you will look at a problem, and see it as totally random. Well, I don't know how, well, this is just kind of what happens in life. Instead of realizing that God is trying to do a work to conform you to the image of Jesus, to transform you from what you are to what you can become. And, and the thing is, is that now things will come into your lives, and, and, and you will say, because you have this framework. Because you've hidden God's word in your heart. Here's what will happen. You will, be, you will say, God, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And I want you to know that I'm submitting myself to you. And I want to learn the lesson that you have for me. Mary responded to the most important news anyone could ever hear. That not only was the Messiah going to be born, but that the Messiah was going to be born through her. And her, her response is to look at her life through the lens of scripture and rejoice. And this, my friends, is how we need to look at our lives as well. Not through the lens of what's most comfortable or through the lens of what's most convenient, but through the lens of what's going to make me more like Jesus. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. In verse 47, she says, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you. A life that glorifies God, number one, magnifies God's word. Number two, it rejoices in God's work. It rejoices in God's work. Now, let's be honest if we can for a moment. Doesn't Mary realize that she's going to be an unwed teenage mom? Doesn't she realize that? Doesn't she realize that she's going to be a social outcast because of what God is doing in her life? And is this really the time to be rejoicing in God? Yes. If you see this moment as not about you and about ultimately the plan of God. Listen, from this moment, rumors will swirl about this girl. People will whisper about this girl. Hurtful things will be said to this girl and to her son because of this moment. Because she's being, being given the greatest honor a woman could be given to carry, give birth to, and be the mother of the Messiah of Israel, the Son of God. But here's what I want to do. I, I want to back up, if I can, and show you... Um, something here that, that God does, and, and that is what causes her to sing the song. And let me read you the few verses that lead up to what we read in Luke chapter 1. I put it in your notes. It says, And behold, you will conceive and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He will be great and be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can these things be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that the Holy One who is to be, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. You see, 
if we can talk about this for a moment, what do you believe you would do if God told you he was going to do something amazing through you and in you? I believe this is one of the things that makes Mary such a woman of faith. When God says she's going to have a child, Mary, listen to what Mary's response is. How can these things be? Not, that's impossible. Not, oh, God, don't you understand how things work here when it comes to men, women, and babies? That's not the way it works. No, she says, God, how are you going to pull this off? That's what a person of faith says. When God told Abraham that he was going to have a son, the Bible says that Abraham laughed. He laughed. He thought it was amazing. He thought it was hilarious that God was going to do this. In fact, here's what it says. And put it in your notes in Genesis 17. Abraham fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? You see, there's something that happens when you believe that the person that you're looking to, God, is greater than who you are. And that God, the person that you're looking to, can do more than you can do for yourself. My friends, the curse of the church in America, I believe, is here's what we do. We believe that it's up to us. We believe that here's how it works. If anything is going to happen, it's going to be in our strength, in our power, in our might, in, in, in our ability to kind of figure things out. And kind of make things work. And if, we're, if we can't figure it out, there's no way that it can actually happen. Instead, Mary had a different belief. That it doesn't matter the person. If God is the one working in the person, then anything is possible. And that's what he says. If we're with God, nothing will be impossible. When I was seven, my dad took me to um, Meadow Glen Mall, which is in Somerville, Massachusetts, which means absolutely nothing to you. Um, but that's where he took me. And uh, because there was a shoe store there that sold kangaroos. Anybody remember kangaroos? Yeah? Okay, there's like four of us. Five of us. All right, God bless all of you. Um, I feel very old now. Anyway, uh, kangaroos were these shoes that had like a little zipper on the side. And you could put like a quarter. Or, you, know, you couldn't really fit much. I mean, you could fit like a quarter you know, a very small, like, towelette or something. I mean, really, not much could fit there, but, but it was a cool thing. That's what we called kangaroos because it had a little pouch for you to fit stuff. And um, my dad had this guy that he knew there. Uh, his name was Russell. Remember Russell? Yeah, you remember Russell. That's my dad. That's just not a random person I'm talking to. Um, and so <laughs> that would have been awesome. In the last service, I just pointed over there, too. Uh, you know, no, I'm just kidding. So my dad knew this guy named Russell uh, who worked at that shoe store. Now, for whatever reason, I thought Russell was Bill Russell. Now you say, well, who's Bill Russell? First of all, come on. Secondly, Bill Russell is probably, in my opinion, the greatest NBA player of all time. Forget Jordan, forget, uh, you know, Kobe, certainly uh, LeBron, and uh, relax. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to sidebar for a moment and just like start dropping some NBA bombs on you. Uh, Now check out what happens. Um, Bill Russell played 13 years in the NBA, won 11 championships. The, the Celtics had never been to the championship, uh, the NBA finals, until Bill Russell uh, played. When Bill Russell retired, the, the Celtics were horrible. Afterwards, um, he is the second most leading uh, guy for rebounds. Um, one of the top shot blockers ever, but they weren't keeping score back then. I promise this is going somewhere. For those, uh, like all the women in the room, they're like, this, this is like, Total nonsense. I can't believe I got, out of the, I got out of bed for this. Then there's another group of you that are like, I can't believe he's dogging LeBron. And then there's the, the Jordan fans. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but anyway, I'm going somewhere. 
Anyway, the guy's got 11 rings. Uh, but here's the deal. So he's also, uh, pretty much everyone has said he's probably the greatest defender that's ever played. So what he lacked in points, he made up for in assists and in, in preventing points. Now, here's, here's, here's the thing that I'm, I'm saying. My dad and Russell at the shoe store, who I thought was Bill Russell, the greatest NBA player of all time, an absolute hero in Boston where I grew up. I thought he worked at a shoe store at Meadow Glen Mall in Somerville when I was seven. Now, for whatever reason, I believe that was true. It doesn't really make a lot of sense now, but you, live a lot, you believe a lot of crazy things when you're seven. And anyway, my dad and, and, and Russell, Bill Russell, were talking about training athletes. And Russell, Bill Russell, pointed to me and he says, do you see this little man? With the right training, I could turn him into an NBA star. Now, aside from the fact that he was working in a shoe store, I thought this was the greatest basketball player of all time who told me that if he trained me, he could make me the greatest NBA player of all time. (laughs) And I thought, let's do this. And you know, and uh, listen, it affected me. Because of what this guy believed I could accomplish. Shortly after that, you know what I did? I joined the basketball team at my school and started playing. All because a guy in a shoe store whose name was Russell, who I thought was Bill Russell, the greatest player in NBA history, believed that I could be a great player. Now here's the point. The point is this. God is at work in the world. And he believes that he could do something amazing through you. You got to decide if you believe that or not. But you know what we do sometimes? We make all these excuses as to why God couldn't use us. Can I just tell you that God wants to use you? And listen, some of us, we just kind of talk that down. Like, no, no, no. I mean, that's other people. That's not really me. Um, I mean, you look at the story of Moses. I mean, you want to read like a frustrating conversation. I mean, read Exodus 3 and 4. God God appears to Moses in the burning bush. Hey, I want to use you. Oh, you know, not me. No, you know, I, who am I? And God says, man, I'm going to be with you. Yeah, but what am I going to say? And you probably want to use somebody else. Well, just you tell them that I am. Yahweh sent you. That, that'll be enough. Oh, but, I, you know, God, you, should want, you need somebody else. I mean, what if they don't believe me? Well, you know, what's in your hand, Moses? A, a staff. Throw it on the ground. See what happens. Boom. Pss, turns into a snake. Whoa, that's, that's an awesome trick. I could join the circus at least. And then he grabs a snake. Well, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I stutter and all this. And God says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and uh, I'm going to send your brother Aaron to be with you. And listen, God is patiently going after this guy and telling him, I am willing to do something amazing in your life. You're going to be one of the guys that people look at as one of the greatest men who's ever lived. And you're standing here making excuses about why I can't use you. And, and, And listen, my friends, we do the same thing. We create a wall of excuses to why God couldn't use us, why God can't do it through us. Can I just tell you something? You know what I love about the Bible? People have all these problems with the Bible. You know, one of the the ways I know the Bible is true, it never sugarcoats its characters and its heroes. It tells us every fault, every problem, every mistake that its heroes make. And listen, next time you don't think God can use you, can I just run through a couple of these? You don't think God can use you? Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Right? (laughs) It's true. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. We're glad that doesn't happen anymore. And um, 
Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced several times over. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And oh, you know that guy Lazarus? He was dead. And God used them, all of them, to do amazing things. And you got to believe. You have to believe that God wants to use your life for God to use your life. And listen, there's a prayer that years ago, I started praying this prayer every morning. And I don't really talk about this all the time, but listen, from my heart to yours, I give it to you. Here's the prayer that I pray. God, you're going to do amazing things in the world today. Help me be part of a few of them. That's it. God, you're going to do amazing things in the world today. Help me to be part of a few of them. And listen, you know what happens when you, when you start believing that? That God is at work everywhere around you. You start looking for opportunities to get involved in what God is already doing. You start looking for things and wondering, man, is this, is this one of the things that God is doing? And how do I get into that? Is this one of the things? How can I get involved in that? And listen, you will experience radical joy in your life, unspeakable joy, when you realize that God can use you. And it's not about your performance or how good you are or how great your pedigree is behind you, but instead it's about His grace. And you simply open yourself up to Him and say, God, you're, you're willing to use anybody. And I'm asking that you use me. And man, when you open yourself up to that, God can do amazing things in your life. Look at what she says in verse 48. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Here's what a life that glorifies God does. It experiences God's blessings. It experiences God's blessings. She is blown away. Mary is blown away that God would choose her. She says this, that God has regarded the state of his maidservants. Or we could say it this way in a more common speak. That is, for some reason, God found me worthy. And that her life shows that God uses people not based on their ability, but based on their availability. You see, God's not um, looking for people based on performance. He's looking for people based on his grace. Let me read you a couple more verses and what happens. Um, this is in uh, Luke chapter 1. Once again, this is what leads up to this conversation of the song that she sings. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Nazareth, a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his, at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Notice the greeting is what has her troubled or literally puzzled. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. She is startled because she sees an angel standing there. In fact, she sees an angel standing there who is the same angel who, who appeared a couple of times to the prophet Daniel. And she's kind of getting the picture. And he says a phrase to her to kind of open the conversation. And he says, the Lord is with you, highly favored one. You see, she knows enough of the Bible to realize that when an angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you, it means God is going to do something amazing in your life in what follows here. 
So when it says she's troubled, literally in the Greek, it means that she's puzzled because she's saying, okay, you want to do something amazing, but I'm not really sure what, what it, the, the amazing thing is. You see, my friends, what Christmas is all about, what sometimes we forget in the midst of everything, is that what Christmas is supposed to do for you and for me is to remind us that we're called by God to do things that are amazing. And you've got to decide if you believe that God has called you to do great things. You should believe that God has called you to do great things because if you're a Christian here, he has called you to do great things. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of women. And yet here's what he said to us. He said, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen a one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the person who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the ability to be even greater than John. Because you're part of the kingdom of God. And sometimes here's what we can think. Oh, come on. I mean, I'm not destined for greatness. I don't come from a powerful family. I don't have the the pedigree. I mean, I don't have the, the resources to do something great. Maybe that's what Mary thought. She came from a town called Nazareth. You see, Nazareth is kind of a, seems like a holy place. You know what it's called in Israel? A bad neighborhood. Nazareth, when Mary was there, was a town of less than 100 people. It was not a good neighborhood. In fact, um, when Philip, the disciple of Jesus, comes to a guy named Nathaniel, and he says, we have found the one that Moses talks about. We've found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. You know what this guy Nathaniel says? He says, come on, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, you know, it's this podunk little town nobody cares about all the way up in Galilee. If God is going to send the Messiah, surely he'll come through uh, Jerusalem. Surely he'll come through, you know, the, some, some great family. And yet here's what happens. God calls an unlikely woman from an unlikely place to be the most important woman in human history. See, there's a passage that's a favorite passage of mine. It's in your notes. He says, brothers, think what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. What's the point? That no, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your past is. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are called by God. And some of you want to be used by God. But listen, there's something in your past that holds you back. And every time you start to believe that maybe God could do something great in your life, you kind of talk yourself out of it. And it keeps you from experiencing the power of God in your life. And can I just share something with you that today is the day to release it. Today is the day to instead instead of embracing the past and, and forsaking the future that God has for you. Today is the day to forsake the past and start embracing the future that God has for you. The good thing that God wants to do in your life. Listen, can I tell you something? Christmas is about God choosing unlikely people to do amazing things. And God wants to work in your life in amazing ways. Listen, some of you are are 
um, you're having struggles in your marriage, can I just encourage you in something? Embrace the song of Christmas. Here's the song of Christmas that believe that God wants to work in your behalf. He wants to work in your behalf. Some of you have dreams for the future, but you have no idea how it could happen and some time has gone by. And listen, you've lost hope. Listen, embrace the song of Christmas. The song of Christmas that believes that God has a plan for you and that that plan is one with a future and a hope. And instead of holding on to the past, we have to let it go and start holding on to the promises of God. That the future is one that's brighter. That the future is one that's better. That there is a hope for us. That there is a plan for us as we walk with him. And listen, some of you are here and you've never given your life to Jesus. Some of you are here and you did walk with God at one point in time and then you walked away. And now Christmas comes around. And you know what you feel sometimes? Those of you that maybe you had known the Lord and you kind of walked away. Christmas comes around and what you feel is a tremendous amount of guilt. Because you knew better. And you walked away anyway. And now you feel guilty. You hear a Christian song. You hear a Christmas song. And you feel guilty. This Christmas song should give you hope. Mary says... My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's your Savior, man. It's because we're broken people who need saving. We're people who need to be saved. We're messed up. And here's the thing. We're not perfect. We're all sinners. We're all, we all need forgiveness. We all need hope peace, the promise that the future is going to be better than the current circumstance that we're in. And that's what our heavenly father offers to us through Jesus, the baby in the manger who became the man on the cross who died, the dead man who was laid in the tomb. And three days later, he was the resurrected man who offers us life and peace and hope and salvation. If we'll simply grab hold of it. So we're going to close. And as we do, I believe that God wants to work in many of your lives. For some of you, you need to give your life to Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And you need to give your life to the Lord. For some of you, today is the day that you need to come back to him because you've stopped believing in the promises of God. You've maybe been going through the motions, but you don't believe anymore. And maybe this Christmas is the day to really just um, get your faith back. And start believing again in the work that God wants to do in you. Some of us are here. You stop believing that God could use you. You stop believing that God could do an amazing work in your life. And today is the day to start believing again. Let me pray for you. And Lord, I want to thank you for every person that's here. We're in so many different circumstances. But Lord, you know where we are. And I pray that as we take a step in your direction and connect with you, that you would work in us and that we would see the power of your Holy Spirit working in us, transforming us, changing us, giving birth to something in us that makes us more like Jesus. God, do a work, I pray. In this moment, I ask, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, 
as I mentioned before, I want to take just a moment if I can. Because there's some of us here, it's Christmas time, and we're thinking about things. There's nativity scenes, there's joy to the world written, and we want to get some of the joy. Peace on earth, and we don't have peace. And so for some of us, I, want, I just want to tell you that, listen, today could be the day. If you're here and you're like, no, I've never really given my life to Jesus, then today is the day. Some of you, you're, you're, you're in that place where it's like, man, I've known the Lord and now I feel guilty because I'm not really walking with God. I don't really believe God. And I believe in God, but man, I haven't really believed him and his promises. Then today is your day. And when the band plays, if you've never given your life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to come forward as so I can pray for you. If you're here and, and, and you say, I've, I've walked away from God, I want you to come forward and rededicate your life to him today. Some of us are here and you're a Christian, but you just don't believe that, that God could use you. And that's because we believe something about God that isn't true. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite you to come forward because I believe that God wants to meet you in this place. And he wants to transform your life and begin a work here that changes you like Mary, from the inside.